You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, yes. Welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. He's Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht. That was another loss for the Brooklyn Nets at the hands of the Phoenix Suns. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day and remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Doug, 121. 111, the Nets lose to the Suns on the road. We're going to get into all the key sequences, uh, some philosophical questions from yours truly, and then maybe some definitive statements around members of the Brooklyn Nets. But let's dive in on how we're feeling after what was a difficult loss on the road, tying a season-high losing streak for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I'm really conflicted about this one because on the one hand, I, I'm starting to live a little too much with the wins and losses, <laughs> like on an emotional level, in a way that we really haven't really had to do until the, since the playoffs of last year, I feel like, right? Like, I don't feel like I've hinged a lot of emotional weight on individual games, wins and losses. We've been afforded that response. We've been afforded that um opportunity by the Nets just frankly having been really good record wise over the last two years. And now we're getting into the super dicey situation where they're coming kind of close to the danger point. And this one. And so, so I'm trying to remove that part from like this actual just singular game because right. on a game level, it's hard to go nuts with a lot of what the Nets did here. I think there's some specific stuff we're clearly going to point to that the game ended up hinging on, mm-hmm. but I can't like, you can't give them an F uh, like they went into Phoenix and, a full-strength Phoenix team that had eaten back that's basically won every single game this year and didn't look like it could miss early. And they were in this game until relatively the end. So, like, what do you say? I I, th- I think in, in general, if you are a right-minded, non-emotional person, like I'm having trouble being right now, you would say, oh, not too bad, right? Like, hung with a team that's got championship aspirations also, and we were down our best guy. And at the same time, they lost, and now they're like a game and a half out of the playing game. So, like, this is like a, the emotional swings for me are pretty uh, are pretty wide right now. We we talk about right no, there's no moral victories, and yet playing Golden State and then playing Phoenix and feeling like you hung with them, played well, and lost. So you like to be able to pick those up. And again, we mentioned it last time where. This is what we pointed to, the concerns around once Kevin Durant goes down with that injury. We said even before that, but specifically once he goes down and you looked at the schedule, you started to say it's hard to look at these games and go, hey, a lot of positives to take out of the out of these losses because of the razor-thin margins you're dealing with. I guess if we want to go a deeper silver lining, it's like you're, you're looking around and watching other teams around the East and going, oh, some people are struggling, and that certainly helps us as we hover around that six-seed mark, knowing that five and above looks like that's probably going to become further and further entrenched as we move along here. So, yeah, it's hard, but I, I'm i going to make some other, like I said, definitive statements during this podcast that I need to have kind of receipts held against me later as the season unfolds Ooh, here. I'll keep some receipts. But, that's good. But yeah. I am of the mindset of feeling okay coming out of this game. And it's probably because of the bar that was set from an expectation standpoint coming into it that you're then able to on the back end go, oh, well, I kind of thought we were going to get blown out. So 
And that worked out pretty good. It's important <laughs> to remember as like a sports fan and really about anything that you that carries like sort of emotional weight behind it is you have to go back. And this is why I said like want to take a steady hand to begin with because like sometimes your previous – not sometimes, all the time your previous thoughts are going to play in around what your current feeling is, right? And you yeah. could dial the meter up and down a little bit, but um, what you thought before the game is going to play a lot into how you feel about it later. It's going to make you way more excited about the win, let's say, or way less excited about, or lay, you know, way angrier at the loss. By the way, if you want to keep your sanity, don't look what Golden State just did tonight, which was sit all their guys and still beat San Antonio on the road with the, the absolute B team. So that's... Uh, Couldn't risk that against the Nets, though, you see? That's yeah, another, we've done that two games ago. moral Jeez. victory. Yeah, whatever, I can see why they didn't. Um, yeah, so I think they, that... They made it back just in time for this one, by the way. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so I, I think that... Look, there's a lot to not like about this game, and there's a, a, a real world where you can say to yourself, "This was a very, this was a winnable game again for the Nets." The Golden State game was the same way; that it was a totally winnable game for the Nets, and they did not win. This again was a totally winnable game for the Nets, and they didn't win. Um, and from that level, you can't be anything but very, very frustrated. And now, when you combine it to see, okay, well, now it's the fifth loss in a row. Now it's yeah. Now they're you know really starting to drop in the standings in a very meaningful slash scary way. Um, this is where the emotions start dialing up a little bit more, and I I think that as Nets fans, I think I think two things need to happen. One is you need to be like less like me right now. I was just maybe I'm saying this to myself like less hinge it hinge everything on every single game because that is not a good approach. Yeah, but you can also start taking away things that need to be fundamentally changed or things that are kind of working well in spite of continuing to lose. And I think that's what we're going to look at in a second here is like what things kind of conspired against the Nets, both from their own doing and they're not doing. And also things that like, I think we can take away from this thing and say, Oh, that's a positive and things we can take away and say, Oh, that's a negative. And I think that's kind of where we need to live right now because to not live like that will probably be tearing your hair out over the short term because just over the last season, we just haven't been in this kind of situation, which is perilously close to, like, real kind of freakout mode after, again, they lose their fifth in a row. And, and by the way, you know, because Steve Nash has been a theme here. We're not going to really get into him too oh, much over the not. course of this. all day on Steve Nash today. Like, I, like it, was a, it was a full <laughs> Nash day. You got into it. You had a heck of an experience. I was, I was watching it from afar. But, but my point was just going to be even seeing some of the interactions on Twitter, whether through you or other fans commenting, and I was having some conversations, and most of them were pleasant, but there was this weird thing of, and this again is where I'm going to keep pointing back to, take away some of the positives, and maybe, yes, devalue some of the negatives that you see over these games when the Nets aren't healthy, because in the back of your mind, you still have to say, we are ultimately going to get healthy. That has to be what, what everything gets couched in. It all has to run through the filter of, this team will be healthy by the end of the year, and we will get a chance to enter the playoffs the way we thought we were always going to when this all began with a healthy roster, three incredibly high-level talents, and some really great supporting players around them. Even the Steve Nash piece is just the idea of, remember, you know, someone mentioned going back, this has been a year and a half now with Steve Nash and too many issues, problems, etc. And it did trigger this, this thought that I responded with of, yeah, but you would never sit here and say with less than 20 games of the big three together on the court no one's standing here saying, like, Shh, Kevin Durant, have you really accomplished what we expected you to do over the last year and a half? 
That's not happening for the players. It's not happening for the results on the court. And I think that, again, you have to put everything underneath this umbrella. And for all the slings and arrows that you took in some of the comments, somehow I think people detached it, which I thought was beautiful, and then we'll move on from this. A lot of people detached it from between you and me. They were very focused on you having an opinion around fine, Steve Nash. I'm bulletproof. Not, not I'm totally so bulletproof. So I don't really care. Like, it's fine. Oh, I, no, no. I, and that, <laughs> but, but, it, but, it, but it is this theme of, I think, you're looking for, we talked about this, you're looking for something to be frustrated by yes. and we get it yes. and it's very easy to pull on obvious threads like the head coach as opposed to looking at any player because we can always sit here sit here and step back and say injuries etc timing blah 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 this is why we're never going to overly worry about the product until playoff time when they're healthy but other things something has to be a, a breathing spot for us and that's where you kind of drive I, I think some of your ire let's um get into then some of the key sequences specifically from this game trends that happened throughout the course of it where the nets hurt themselves and where maybe some other factors came into play before we do though got to tell you about our friends over at prize picks that's because if you're a nba fan I like to think that you are. You need to be looking for some daily fantasy action, obviously. You got to try the award winning app. Prize Picks is your daily fantasy made easy. I'm enjoying the heck out of it, and I know you're going to as well. You pick two to five players and an over under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times of any early entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. You're not scrambling against all these other odd shark mavens. No. You pick the best lineup you think you have going for you, and you have the opportunity to have entries that can be made in less than 60 seconds. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals as well. Use the award-winning app on both App Store and Google Play. Prize Picks offers a variety of options. You can do everything, including props around points scored to rebounds and steals. Hopefully, you did not go with James Johnson. That could have been awkward for you tonight. But Prize Picks allows you to make sports entries for, of course, Maybe the Brooklyn Nets podcast, if you like any of those teams or players that have been going on over there. You want to head over, and for a limited time, Prize Picks will give you an exclusive, no-brainer offer for all of our users. You get $50 for free if you use a player in your first Prize Pick entry and he scores a single point. It's essentially 50 free bucks, but you must use the promo code NBA. That's right. It's an exclusive offer available for Locked On fans. Sign up today and use the promo code NBA for $50 free if a player that you utilize scores a single point. And if we're done with that, you've got to start thinking about tax season. Folks, people think it's unusual circumstances. It can mean complicated taxes. That can be true, but that's not to worry about because TurboTax Live experts, that is where they can help make things interesting. Everyone's got unique lives. You might have invested for crypto for the first time this year, hopefully. Uh, you own, except for recently, own an up-and-coming small business, check, or a raising rambunctious kids, Check, check, double check. Luckily, TurboTax Live has experts who can answer your tax question, walk you through the whole process, or do your taxes from start to finish. There you go. You want these things done and done right. They help you get every deduction you deserve, no matter your unique situation. You can talk to TurboTax Live experts through your phone or computer without leaving your house. Look, these guys and gals love to do this. Why not just turn this situation over to the professionals? TurboTax Live experts are here to help you however you need. And if you need an extra hand, Hand your taxes off to them. They'll do it all for you. There you go. TurboTax uh, Live Experts can mean an interesting life turns into an even greater refund. Tur visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes into it. TurboTax Live. All right. So now focusing on this game, um, some, I think, early early trends and sequences that happened throughout this that kind of led to the Brooklyn Nets' demise. Some very, que <laughs> very questionable ones that... 
as you say, swing on the pendulum of just going from being like, well, it's over. Hold on a second now. Yep. Maybe they're back in it. Nope. I think it's actually over here. I think quickly before we do, because we're not going to cover too much, I think, inside the box score here. Uh, it was another incredibly strong game from Kyrie Irving. 10 to 20 from the field. Really stepped up in a lot of the big spots. Hit a lot. He's been hitting, it feels like, more and more acrobatic perimeter shots on a consistent basis out of necessity than I've seen him in recent years as well. So he's been absolutely electric. Good game from Harden as well. But 72% from the field in the first quarter for the Phoenix Suns. That felt like a jumping off point. And by the way, it wasn't necessarily for anything that the Nets were or were not doing shy of maybe they should have been literally inside Cam Johnson shorts when he was taking perimeter looks, I, I guess would be the first. Thing. Yeah, I'd push back a little bit on that because I think there were a few defensive failings. I think the Nets had a plan to side, kind of like, because with the Suns, you have to pick your poison because uh, Chris Paul and company are just so good at pick and roll. Like they can run the two man action between Paul and Booker. They can run that stuff between uh, Paul and Aiton. He's an absolute assassin when it comes to that and can pick defenses apart. At that point, you kind of do just need to. Uh, kind of choose a path. I think the Nets chose to try switching. Uh, that wasn't totally great. Uh, they used Claxton in those situations. That didn't really totally work. But, like, they did sort of pinch a lot on defense. Yeah. And that is just going to open up more shots from the outside. And then you're kind of saying, look, like, we can't have it both ways. Like, we can't play, like, paint-specific pick-and-roll defense and try to completely take that away without giving up a little something else. And what they gave up were a lot of kind of open look threes. The Suns are really good about finding those guys. They have incredible spacing because they have multiple guys that can hit the three. So I think we just saw that. It's like, yeah, there's a reason this team has lost single digits games. Like we saw it. Why? Right. Like they, they just, they find the thing you're doing and they do the other thing. And that's kind of what the Nets did. And I, I can't fault that. I can't fault that strategy because there's worlds where, you know, they knock down, 25% of those threes in the first quarter and you're right back in it. So I think that's the only reason I was like, oh, Cam Thomas like, or Cam Cam Johnson. It wasn't all just like he was hitting these acrobatic fallaway threes. Like a lot of them were incredibly good looks. Yeah. And I thought the defensive strategy was kind of like, well, this is just what you need to do. And I didn't even think that was really the key to the game because I think there was <laughs> just other stuff that happened here. Well, yeah, and I think you encapsulated it properly. It's not that the rotation pieces defensively didn't have lapses at times, especially in that first quarter, but that you were picking that poison and kind of living with it. Now, you maybe would have preferred that the switching was better, but you still you kind of made that active decision out of the start. Uh, to your point, the Nets were still in the game after the first quarter. They were, you know, in spite of giving up 72% from the field, and, you know, very early in this one, they had it where... Uh, the Nets were 5 of 6 from the field in the first quarter, and Phoenix was 11 of 12. And it was like, well, bang, there's the shot disparity that we always talk about with the Brooklyn Nets. They always seem to struggle with that. So even when you're shooting a high percentage and you're still in the game, it, it just feels like opportunities come too far and you know far and frequently for a good team like the Phoenix Suns, and that's going to be hard to build out of. But, but even beyond that... I mean, I, I don't want to jump around in the game too much here. Are there other sequences before we get to jumping off in the fourth quarter... 60 seconds, four fouls for Brooklyn, yeah. and that seems to also set a very bad tone as you're as you're trying to keep yourself in this game. Yeah, so rather than go through each sequence, I think like sort of the theme of this game was that this game ebbed and flowed in really re weird ways, right? Like there was tons yeah. of times where the Nets definitely could have just rolled over and died because it was just looking really bad, and they didn't. Like they continued to fight back time after time when a lot of things, like I said, were conspiring against them. So I, I want to point out that first, like there's no one specific run. They just made multiple runs like this game, right? Like mm -hmm. they got down by 10, 
pull it back within five, like get it down by seven, pull, get back within two. Like they had this stuff that was going this way. I mean, I guess we could just talk about the refs first. Like the refereeing in this game was super suspect for sure. There were an incredible amount of missed calls, some very high profile ones like the JaVale McGee. Okay. Let's talk about this sequence. The JaVale McGee, um, pretty clear goaltending down to the other yes. end where the goaltending was probably correct, but it looks worse because then they had just missed one of the, and that's the one that's the one where you're a Nets fan. This is kind of like what I mean before about managing your emotions. Like as a Nets fan, you can start looking at those that those two situations and be like, of course, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, of course this happens. Of course they missed the goaltending on one end, and it just happens to be a goaltend on the other. Again, that goaltend was correct. Like Kessler touched the ball while it was on the rim. Like it was mm-hmm. that was a goaltend. But it was sequences like this, and there were many of these, where you think to yourself, it's just all going wrong. Right, like yeah. the fouls are going yeah. only one way and not us. Like, right, I think that's kind of the theme. It's like this: you start to feel like you're a little not cursed because that's like too over the board, but like a little snake bit here, right? It's like mm-hmm. these things just what? seem to be going weirdly the wrong ways. Like Harden seems like he's drawing a lot of fouls and not getting them, and the Nets lose the foul battle by what seems like double or something. It, was, it wasn't double, but um, does that make sense? What I'm saying? It was what twenty seven nineteen. Like, does that make sense? What I'm saying? And yeah, those four fouls in there were all fouls it was incredibly stupid plays well no I, I, yeah 100 percent. it makes sense what you're saying because by the way it's like there, there's the up and under from Kyrie Irving that he misses at the rim Claxton's right there and can't put it back up in yeah. you mentioned it when we were just kind of reminiscing before we started the show of Kyrie saves the ball from going out of bounds throws it for Harden and it just bounces right. out ahead of him everyone's going in transition it's an easy bucket for Phoenix right underneath there but but even to the to your point about the goaltending it's like that sequence happens, it, it ends up being this big swing, ultimately over a few possessions where you go, boy, what could have been a two-point game became a seven-point game all of a sudden over a couple sequences. But the Nets came back from that. Yes. And I think like it's also worth highlighting, like against Golden State Warriors, even without Harden, this, they have Harden back, you have Kyrie out there, you saw the bench, they were up and completely involved in every single defensive sequence, like, you can see that the Nets, it's like this theme here of, like, moral victories, like, they're looking for the moral victories, I think, on a night-in, night-out basis, and maybe even a little bit, while they're not going to say it in post-games, like, we can be, we can feel good about the fact that we could have gotten these ones, and I know they want the wins, but they're, they, they are dug in for those, and that's where I think, in spite of the loss, you can look at these rally sequences that they went through and say, dude, you could you, you could roll over and die on every one of these games, even if it's a bad team that you're playing against because you're so shorthanded at all these little things that are going against you. And also, in these games where it feels like a lot of the foul calls are, are there to be had, the James Harden piece certainly seems to keep coming back up to it where you're like, hey, if you're, if you're, if you're going to call the fouls, I'm good with it. But it does feel like James Harden is looking for them and not getting them, and sometimes they're there. And then you said they pick up all four of those ones in the, in the fourth quarter. They're all real fouls. There's some frustration ones there as well, and that's, I think, the cumulative effect of this where the Nets are building up in their frustration, and then that happens at the by the 11-minute mark. They're in the fouls. And by the way, they even, got a, they even managed to navigate that and still be yeah. down single digits late in the game. So it's like every time that you could point to something this and say, that's pretty brutal, the Nets overcame that. And that's where I dismissed those issues of the game and moved to the part of, you probably should have still been able to come back and maybe have a real chance to win this one down the stretch. 
Yeah, like he has legit gripes. Like he should have. It's yeah. okay. Like he he's he has legit. Harden has legit gripes about getting to the to the rim. Kyrie actually probably had at least two true. Gri- he's just not as trained to like argue with the refs. He's not as much of a complainer about this stuff. Like Harden, his like, athleticism and his body contortion, I think, is a detriment to him getting foul calls more often. Same with Harden. Like same with Harden. Frankly, yeah. like there's his and it's it's a little different with Harden. It's because like his sheer strength around the rim makes it appear like he didn't get fouled at times. Like he can feel the contact, but it doesn't look like he absorbed it all the time. Look. He made a career out of pretending to absorb the contact, so I can kind of get why people are a little, uh, a little gun shy still around doing it. But it doesn't take away from the fact that, like these two guys, are so good at finishing near the rim, but in totally different ways that they are absorbing lots of contact, but they would never appear as if they did because they're still able to get up actually like kind of good shots in that scenario, and so it can give you the sense of they're not getting fouled. It's not an excuse for the refs. Like, there's some clear misses here. And then you get on the other. It's a, a funny, too, because if you want to juxtapose this situation, look at the other end where uh, Chris Paul gets the clear rip through. Again, it's a foul. Like, you're allowed to do it. Yeah. But you're like, right. oh, okay, this is sort of the difference of what's happening here. Like, he does the clear, in no way is this a basketball play move. Like, there's just no, like, <laughs> yeah. there's just no, ch- I get why he does it. Like, he's trained everyone to feel, to have it be a foul. Harden got, made a career off this. Uh, it's, it's fine. But it just, it is funny to see that situation and do this thing where you like throw your hands up again. You're like, awesome. Like this is happening over here. It's not. It's not a real basketball move. And then over here, it's like these guys are getting hammered, but they're so freaking good, it doesn't look like they are. And so now we're all going nuts about it. So yeah. Anyway, all right. Let me it's also, uh, let me, by let me, the way, a, a, a game where where Blake Griffin's actually hitting some three pointers, and that's where you feel like you really wasted an opportunity. Uh, can I tell you that I looked, Did I tell you that I took time to look up just for fun because I thought it'd be like a, such a stupid stat to put out there because I usually hate these stats to look up how many. When Blake had hit two or more threes in a game, what the Nets record was, he's done it. Fi- I'll tell you right now, and then I'll hit Bill Bar. Um, he's done it fifteen times in his career. You want to guess what the? In his, sorry, his Nets career. Like you want to guess the record in in in, uh, in games where he's hit two or more threes? Oh, I didn't count this one. Okay, so sixteen games. Uh, what it was? What his record is when he's hit two or more threes? What the team's record is? Three and thirteen. Ten and six. Oh, uh, excuse again. me. So then we blew it again. Hashtag it doesn't matter. But uh, <laughs> but I just thought that'd be such a funny thing to be like, because I was really hoping it was like 15 or no or some stupid number. All right. I'll make myself feel better here. I got to talk to you about our friends over at Bill Bar New Year. That means New Year's resolutions. I'm trying to stick to mine. Haven't been as good in the last couple days, uh, but we'll get back on the old horse. We'll start by getting back into Bill Bar. Bill Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It's even better than a candy bar because it's got the stats, the health stats that actually back it up. You want to eat healthy, it just can get kind of boring at times. I know what that feels like. By week three or four of those resolutions, you're thinking it's just not worth it. Why don't we grab a little chocolate in our diet? No problem. Built Bar's got you covered there. They're 100% covered in real chocolate with the stats to back it up. Just four grams of sugar, just four net carbs, 130 calories, 17 grams of protein. I could compare that to the candy bar right now, but you'd be so disgusted by how bad the candy bar is for you. I'm not even going to read it for you. Even if you're not a huge fan of wake, uh, working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and good for you. That is when you go for the Built Bar, grab some of those flavors too, peanut butter, brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and more. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off of your order. Use promo code Locked 15 for 15% off at built.com. Okay. So here's the deal. Receipt time. And we actually we actually touched on it a little bit there in the last segment, Blake Griffin and then three-pointers. A couple of things I took away from this game, If again, uh, and this is also an overarching theme. I'm going to tell everybody right now, 
We talked a little bit at the dread deadline coming up, speculative ideas and Claxton. I mentioned Cam Thomas last episode. I'm getting back into my proper lane here, and I'm staying with it over the remainder of the season. Okay. And it starts with James Harden is a hunt. It, he's it's fine. The, the the James Harden conundrum is solved. He I, I stand by the fact that the hamstring hampered him at the start of the season. He missed time with COVID protocols. He's had the wrist injury. Like, some things have slowed him down, including his own metabolism, probably, from <laughs> being fully where he needs to be for the playoff push. And maybe he'll never get there. But right now, what this game showed me was James Harden's just going to need some rest over the back end of this season. Because when he's come back fresh, he looks like James Harden. When he gets worn down and you're playing him 40, 45 minutes a game, he starts to look a little bit more like hero ball Houston Rockets James Harden, which he doesn't need to be anymore. So that that's my first definitive statement. Put it in your pocket. I know you agree with me, but feel free. Um, yeah, no, I think that like it's just gonna be. I think that's probably where we are on his age curve slash his just like health yep. curve right now. It's just he's just can't. He's just still playing an incredible amount of minutes, like thirty eight per game over the course of January. So like that's just a way bigger load than nearly any other player in the league like fatigue of course would be a factor in that situation I will say that his January um was much was you know there's a few fewer games in here but his January was mostly better than his December like 33% from three uh as compared to 27% scoring uh, a little bit down but the minutes were down too so it's like kind of in line it's just about in line um with uh Whiskey me where the minutes were. So, like from an efficiency standpoint, he was right basically the same uh, on the assist point. So, I think for the most part, I'm with you. I think what we're seeing from now from James Harden is probably where we're going to get and is good, is definitely good enough with hopes that it kind of gets a little better as he continues to get in shape over the course of the season, which you continue to hope. So, I think I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I still think we're not getting anything close to like peak Houston Harden. No. But I think we probably need to reduce the expectation off that too. So once you do that, then I think it's fine. And I'm not trying to move the goalposts here, but I think I agree with you. No, I, I think he slotted into the wheelhouse. Uh, quick tip of the hat to Kessler Edwards. He's now picked up significant matchups in the last yep. two games. Steph Curry picks up Booker in this one. He's guarding all across the board here. I'd said he's the fifth most important player on the team. I don't know. Maybe he's fourth now. Like, there's just this world where he matters more than perimeter shooters that can knock down threes like Patty Mills, as good as he's been because of what he does on both ends. Blake Griffin's the oh, other real guy. Real quick, I would say, like, in this yeah. game here, without some of the other key players, like, he is the fourth most important player. Yeah, like yeah. after Irving Harden, I, I, you can maybe even make it close on Mills because just how good the defense has been. So maybe you can, yeah. like, can get as high as third. So I, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Uh, and then Blake Griffin, it's just that when this team is healthy, we've talked about some of these veterans and stuff. I, I and this is a good example. It's not even about the scoring. It's not knocking down the triples. He has a very specific role for this team. You, you don't the the. Paul Millsap experiment never happened. That's going to go by the wayside. LaMarcus Aldridge isn't a physical player. Claxton's not a physical player. Obviously, Dayron Sharp can maybe do some of that for you. But Griffin's a savvy, defensive veteran player. He knows where to be on the floor. He's effective in his role. And if and when the team gets healthy, I think he's going to look even more valuable. So this has been important to remind us that he's not the same guy he was last year. And also, he's still just as important as he was last year. This isn't Bruce Brown where it feels like something is lost there and he's never going to find himself back into a role. Blake Griffin is still crucial for this team and I'm going to I'm going to stick to that the remainder of the season as well. Yeah, he was pretty important in this one. The physicality was definitely needed in this matchup because like Phoenix is also like a little sneaky physical down low. Like they have some big guys. They do, do not basically don't take a center off the court the whole game between mm-hmm. Aiton and Biombo. And so 
like you do need a little bit of strength. And, you know, while, um, oh, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, um, Aiton, McGee, and Biombo. Um, yeah. the, and like while Blake isn't the biggest guy in the world, he's at least pretty strong. And so, and mm-hmm. there are certain matchups where you kind of need him to be able to hold up. That's what we saw early in the year too, when he's playing a lot of these center minutes, like he just needs to be able to hold up for, you know, extended stretches against guys that are bigger than him. And I, you know, for the most part he can probably not at a championship level defensively, but for a regular season innings eater, like for sure. And, um, I, it's not going to work in every matchup, but I can see why it kind of worked in this one. Yeah. No, again, it's the, again, that's the same thing about a lot of these guys on this team supporting cast members only need to serve their purpose in the mat, in the matchups where it matters most. And I think Blake Griffin's still capable of doing And by that. the way, I'll credit uh, Nash, like going to, going to Blake in those minutes, instead of Claxton, because the Claxton thing just wasn't working. Um, yep. I think that actually was like a pretty good, like a pretty good move to, to kind of switch that over. It looked a lot better because Blake hit a couple of those threes and that helped True. him. But in general, I thought he held up fine once they sort of switched the scheme away from like all the switching around Claxton around the perimeter, which kudos to him, but it just really wasn't working. So anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, who, what was yep. your next one? No, that, that, I mean, that's really the case for me here. The Nets are still finding themselves a game and a half up on Charlotte in the seventh spot. They're two and a half up on Toronto there in the eighth spot. Should I save the philosophical uh, question around narratives in the NBA, or do you want to sneak it in? No, sneak it in. Let's do it, because we're going gonna to post-game tomorrow after the Kings game. So, Oh, yeah. that's true. We won't have any time for it. Um, so much of what's gone on over the first half of the season – and let's say over the last say month and a half around the Brooklyn Nets, everybody in now the lineups, the Kyrie situation, now the injury with Kevin Durant. The NBA narrative is that the Nets are going to go through a hard patch here. They're going to have really difficult matchups, and there's a low expectation that they're going to be able to win those games. Do you think that when there is that narrative kind of set, that it does bleed into the way games can get called and maybe the way that that referees approach it? Now, ultimately. They're supposed to lose these matchups, but it feels like we have had a little bit more of an uptrend in recent games where the Nets do seem to be on the wrong side of of toss-up calls more often than not. Like, I would say it seems like they're getting a bad beat more than they're getting the lucky breaks. Is that fair? Um. Okay, so I think that is tough to evaluate because we tend to watch the game through one specific lens, which is through the Nets lens, right? And, like, this is the sort of time-honored hallmark of local sports team, like, coverage and fandom and stuff, is that you only look through the game through the one lens. If you were able to sit next to a Phoenix or an opposing fan the entire game, you and and that's how you watched every game, you almost for sure would have a different view of the game, right? Like, so I, I think I have to start there and try to be rational around it because... On the one hand, I want to agree with you like really quickly and be like, God, they're so snake bit. The thing is like every fan base thinks they're snake bit. And so once you so once you get to that point, you like option every, B is our referees kind of equally terrible with consistency. Okay, so they were bad tonight, but like the right. Nets again didn't do themselves any favors. Like at some point you have to be looking out for it. these guys were just a hack of guy like they, they hacked guys. They, those four yeah. fouls in that one possession were legit fouls, every single one of them. Oh, just because so, Benbury piggybacked on somebody underneath the basket? Big deal. Call and they fast. just had some brutal and ones. Like, yeah. like t- totally terrible guys just running free to the rim where you stick your hand out and never works 100 times out of 100. The guys are too strong, they finish, and you just get this, like, the easiest and ones ever. So, yes, 
calls definitely went their way. Now I will say calls going your way can probably, or excuse me, going against you can probably have a demoralizing effect and to the point where your frustration level grows. And like, that's probably the narrative, but I don't think there's a narrative around like one sidedness. I think sometimes it'll seem like that's happening. It definitely seemed like it was happening tonight. And I think usually what happens as a byproduct of that is you just become incredibly frustrated, rightfully so, and then you're just a little bit more out of control. And so, I don't know. Yeah, half a step late, willing to reach in, even though you know it's going to be a bucket. You're just pissed off. You're like, well, this wasn't a foul before, so, like, what the hell? Like, I'll just do this other thing. And (laughs) and this last thing, and we'll get out of here, but the, you know, the Nets were in the bonus. Excuse me, the Suns were in the bonus from a really early part. And it actually, until the very end, didn't kill them as ter- like they actually got a little more disciplined at that point, and it wasn't that, so, like and so that's got themselves into the bonus like at the five and a half minute mark of the fourth quarter. They I thought it was way earlier than in, that. No, no, yeah, but no, anyway. no. They put the, they put the Suns in the bonus at the eleven minute mark. The Suns were in the oh, bonus. Sorry, the oh, sorry, gotcha. I missed what you said. But okay. then the Nets picked it back up. And to your point, that's where it was. That's something that went that went against you. You were frustrated. You still navigated a difficult stretch. Got yourself into the bonus too, and then you were back on even footing. And then you still committed some of those clumsy and frustration fouls. I think in the end, one started to pile up. But that, it's again. So uh, it's always a curious piece because I think you're right when you look at it inside out. <laughs> looking at your team, the team that you cover, the team that you root for, it's always, nothing's going our way. I'm sure there's plenty of fan bases that would say, ah, well, you should watch one of these Suns games when they're on the road and they're getting beaten up and Chris Paul can't pick up a foul for for his life, even if he does windmill through. That's anyway. just like the history of sports fandom, frankly. It's just like, that's just, like I said, like a time-honored tradition. You think your team is always, get, you think everyone hates your team, you're the bad guy, everyone hates you. Here's the thing. You heard it here first. Doug said, <laughs> Nets got robbed. I, I'd be shocked if that was the case. The I'd be shocked if that was the case. Like all thirty teams were the most hated and the most screwed. And like, <laughs> yeah. So like that would be a number that didn't really seem to compute. But anyway, okay, we're gonna get out of here. We'll be back after the Kings game tomorrow night. Another West Coast tilt. Uh, in the meantime, make sure you subscribe over to YouTube. Jump in the comments. Uh, tons yeah. of commenters from yesterday's episode. We're trying to keep up. We really are. I, I put in a day, buddy. I put in an absolute day with these comments on Twitter today. So if you want to throw something out on Twitter, it's at Doug Norrie. It's at Adam Armbrecht. Um, if you want to go uh, even better, go subscribe to the podcast. Tune in every day. Argue us with us to your heart's delight. I'll put the link in the show notes for the Lockdown Nets YouTube channel. Let's just stay even keeled, my friends. When you've completed what you thought you had to do and your blood's depleted to the point of stable glue, then you'll get along, and then you'll get along. Steady as she goes. Oh. Raconteurs. Oh, Raconteurs. There we go. One of the, some of the all-time Jack White. <laughs> some of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.